Amen and amen. So Billy's up first uh, with, with the second crew here, and so Terry's going to help me baptize her. And as we do that, um, Billy, come on, come on over. Terry, I want you right over here, my man, right here. So it was a real privilege to um, see Billy and Terry get baptized today. This has been a, a four-year answer to prayer. Amen? Four years. When they walked into the church, asking God to start working in their lives and uh, just to see the Spirit of God at work to lead them to Christ and now toward baptism is, is a real privilege and they've had some amazing things that have happened in their life that have been very heavy and crazy. And this day being here, Billy, here we are, and you're wet, so we better get going. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray over Billy. Father, we thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for leading Billy to Christ. Thank you for Jesus just really coming down and invading, Lord, her mind and heart. God, we're thankful that we're here at this moment. This is a miracle of grace. We recognize it. We give you all the praise and glory, Jesus, for saving Billy. And Lord, we ask that you would bless her life, not just today, Lord, but the rest of her days. May she walk as a follower of Jesus. Lord, may you make her a godly woman who is growing and mature and pouring her life into others. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Billy, based off of your testimony of faith in Jesus, yep, there we go, one hand under, there we go, your desire to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, just grab on, Terry, there we go, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now we have Terry, and this is also a really cool thing because since Terry and Billy have been coming to church, Terry had a, had a major health crisis just a couple years ago, and you know, one of the moments I remember really well, there you go, take it easy now, is... Just seeing, seeing God work in his life and being there as he woke up after major surgery, just being in the hospital room with him and seeing God at work even in that moment. God, God works in hospital rooms, amen? Maybe, maybe, more than, maybe more than any other place, God works in hospital rooms. And just to see, brother, just to see where you're at right now and very powerful, and Sabrina being here, to your daughter to, to help baptize you is very, very cool, very powerful. So let's pray over our brother Terry. Lord, we thank you for your grace in Terry's life. What a miracle that he's here, God. What a blessing that you've given him life and breath and the ability to be here this morning confessing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And we pray that, Lord, you would use this moment of obedience and baptism to honor your son, the Lord Jesus we pray that he would grow in his knowledge of the word of God. We pray that he would grow to be an obedient, mature, godly man who will pour himself into others and lead others to Christ. We pray that you would give him joy in Jesus all of his days. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. One under. There you go. 
Okay. Terry, based off of your testimony of faith in Jesus and your desire to follow him in believer's baptism, it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Praise God. All right, all you guys can stand up. We're going to continue our singing together. Isn't that so good?
Amen and amen. Praise God. Well, again, good morning and and welcome. Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Acts 2. Don't you just love baptisms? I just love them. Praise God for what He's doing at at Living Waters. Uh, Just amazing. Praise the Lord. So we're going to read in Acts chapter 2, the Word of God, verses 17 through 41. We are walking through... A continuation of our sermon series, which is the birth of the church, looking at the first two chapters of Acts, and we're going to be looking at Peter's sermon. And so I'm going to be reading verses 17 through 41, it's a bigger chunk of scripture, but get your reading minds engaged here. We're going to read the scripture uh, and then pray, and then I'm going to fly through this sermon. Um, You can listen to the longer version at 8.30 on YouTube or something, but I'm going to go through it faster Um, in this 10 a.m. service. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 17. We're going to read all the way to verse 41. This is the word of God. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel... Hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, it's before me. For he is at my right hand that I may. Therefore, my heart hung rejoiced, my flesh also hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, full of gladness with your presence. I say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, though he died, was buried in his. 
knowing that God had sworn an oath to of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. Of that, we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Praise God for the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you this morning. Lord, we could say amen right now and walk out of this building blessed because of the testimonies that we heard. Lord, how awesome of a God are you saving and redeeming and converting sinners to become followers of your son, Jesus. How good are you, God? You're so amazing, so good. Your spirit is at work. And Lord, it is the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost, poured out through Peter's sermon that we are sensing even now inside of our own souls. We know that the Holy Spirit is still very much at work in our day, saving and redeeming and, and drawing believers even into more growth and more maturity and more love and more grace. And Lord, we know that it is all of your spirit. So Lord, give us grace as we approach this text of scripture. Give us grace as we look at Peter's sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my, my message this morning is The Church's First Sermon. The Church's First Sermon. Now, Peter is standing before this large crowd at Pentecost. Some people say thousands, some people say tens of thousands, and I've heard even a couple estimates from some commentaries that suggest hundreds of thousands. That's a lot of people, okay? It's about what we have here this morning, amen? About 10,000. It's a big crowd. It's a big moment. Peter is going to preach the Bible. He's going to preach the first sermon of the church. And this is an amazing sermon. And the big idea of his sermon is found in verse 36. Peter's first sermon centered on the certain truth that Jesus Christ was both Lord and Messiah. He says in verse 36, let it be known for certain or you take it to the bank that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Peter's whole heart of his sermon was to convince his crowd that Jesus was Lord. He was master of all things. 
and that he was the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who was sent to save sinners from their sins. That was Peter's whole idea. And what were his main points? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. What were Peter's main points? Because every preacher worth his salt has points. Amen? Got to have points. And I got three of them this morning from Peter's sermon. His first point is that this is the messianic age. What Peter is saying as he's standing before this crowd of people is that this is the messianic age. Verse 17 through 21, which is a quote from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. It starts this way, in the last days... It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. So the first thing Peter is saying is he's quoting Joel. And he's saying this is the messianic age, just in case you didn't know. The messianic age is the age of Messiah. It was kicked off by Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And then it's really kicked off at Pentecost where all of a sudden there's this new thing that God is doing and it's called the Messianic end time age. And that is the age that we find ourselves in still today. And what is God's activity during this age? If you want to know as a Christian, what age am I living in, pastor? Which one? Messianic age. That is the age we find ourselves right now in 2022 in between Pentecost and the second coming of Christ. What is the definition of the activity that's happening during this age? Well, according to Joel chapter 2, the Spirit of God is, is empowering the people of God to prophesy, to have visions, and to have dreams, all of it pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? That is the goal of this age right now. God's people having the Holy Spirit poured into them through salvation in Christ is is absolutely empowering them to have visions, to see dreams, and to prophesy all in accordance with the word of God. That's very important to hear. All of the visions, all of the dreams, all of the prophecy are in accordance with the word of God. Here's the cool part. What is happening at Pentecost is still happening today. Amen? Amen still going on. Hey, until Jesus gets back, there is this prophecy that is true. It's not all fulfilled in a moment, but it is, it is being fulfilled. All right. It's, it's happening as we go. And here's just a a good example of this in the middle East right now. If you went to Iran right now, there are reports of hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands. And yes, hundreds of thousands of Muslims coming to Christ underground. Yeah. Praise the Lord. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. You can clap for that. Let's give give Jesus a hand. We can do that. Here's the point. How are they getting saved? Visions and dreams of Jesus Christ speaking to them. How do you explain that? Well, you don't. Christians, you don't. Because the reality is that God is getting his gospel to places that you and I have no ability to get to. You can close a country, but you can't close Jesus. Amen? 
You can't close off the gospel. So God is doing these things all the time. He's saving people all over the world. And, and, and just because in America, we're not seeing it happen in the exact same way, doesn't mean it's not happening. Jesus is saving people all over the world with or without your permission. Thank you very much. Praise God. But, all right, just to balance this out, prophecy, visions, and dreams that Peter is talking about in this messianic age have to come to us with a balance, a balance of the Word of God. We have to balance what we're seeing and hearing with what the Word of God actually says. What do we have written in this book? Can I get a witness here? All right, you don't just hear everything and take it all in and say, all of that is from God. Well, there's, there's shenanigans afoot in this world. There are people who will tell you words of prophecy and visions that they've had about your life and what that really is is pepperoni pizza. Like, bro, I think that's pepperoni pizza from last night. I don't know if you have a word of God for me if it doesn't match up with this word. It must match up with the scriptures. So understand like that the messianic times are real and they are coming at us full force, which is really amazing. But Peter is also going to tell us, you should check every single word of prophecy, every vision, every dream in accordance with the word of God as it is written and understood. Okay? Now, the gospel, again, like I said, doesn't need your permission to go and to save. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6, the apostle Paul talks about it this way. He says, the gospel which has come to you indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Part of being a, a part of the messianic age is that we have the gospel and the gospel, it perpetuates itself. It multiplies itself. All you and I have to do, we don't have to save anybody. Can I get a witness? All we got to do is give them the word. Give them the gospel. Let the gospel change the souls of men and women. We don't have the power to transform anybody in the messianic age. We have the power to sow the word of God into the hearts of people. And that is what changes people. What else about the messianic age? I will show wonders in the signs in heaven. And signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, verse 19. Peter is telling all of the crowd that wonders and signs are going to take place in this messianic age. And this is miracles in the sky and miracles on the earth. You're going to be seeing lots of things. And I'm not saying all of them are going to be good and warm and fuzzy. Some of them are going to be blood and fire and smoke. Which is, which is very scary. The judgment of God is going to fall in the Messianic age. And Peter is trying to tell his crowd, get ready for this. The judgment of God is coming on sinners and on a sinful earth. And y'all better be ready for this Messianic age because it's coming. There's going to be the Spirit of God at work and amazing stuff happening through the Holy Spirit. There's also going to be signs of God's judgment. Before Jesus comes back, there will be signs of God's judgment. Now, to illustrate this, all you have to do is read your New Testament and read the book of Revelation and pay attention to the weather and pay attention to astronomy and pay attention to um, political headlines and socioeconomic headlines. All you got to do is that. And you will be very convinced in your soul 
that the end of the messianic time is very near. Amen? I mean, that's all you need, right? Because every generation has thought that. They're like, this is the end of the world. There is something inside the souls of men and women that you just know that it's going to get crazy. It's going to get crazier and crazier and crazier in this world, and it's a sign inside of me that Jesus is coming back, or something, something apocalyptic is coming. Don't believe me? Here, here's just a sign. And from 1950 to 1954, they did atomic bomb drills in schools and all across this country, right? What? For those who grow up in Generation X or Millennials or Generation Z, they can't even believe that. Like, are you serious? You guys used to duck under desks afraid of A-bombs? Yes, we did. Take notes, kids. We thought the end of the world was coming. But how about fast forward just 40 years to the fantastic cinematography of Armageddon, 1998, Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, right? Some other person. <laughs> I remember which theater in Wisconsin I saw that in the summer, and I thought it was the most epic movie, most epic graphics of all time. Now it's laughable, but at the time, you thought it was the end of the world. Asteroid come for the earth, and Ben Affleck, they go and they blow it all up. The whole world, right? It happens. Every generation. How about just this post? The size of the that is happening. The story, it's clickbait. I click going on. We're going to meet Jesus. The world is going to fall apart. The world is literally going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. And there's going to be a great and magnificent day of judgment. Peter is using his sermon, leveraging Joel 2 to tell everybody, get ready. This is the messianic age. That's a good point, Peter. Thank you. Peter's second point is this. This is the Messiah. Not only is this the messianic age, this is the Messiah Verses 22 through 35. Jesus of Nazareth, verse 22. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did. You know yourselves about this man. He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it's not possible for him to be held by it. Peter's second point is this. The, the messianic age is upon us. The judgment of God is coming. And here's your Messiah. Here's the Savior that's going to save you from the impending judgment of Almighty God. Jesus of Nazareth. This man from the wrong side of the train tracks, right? He came from the wrong town. He came from the rough side of town. Jesus of Nazareth. You know what he did? He did miracles and signs and wonders. He healed the sick. He healed the, 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 the blind. He healed the lame and the beggar. He, he did miracles all over the place. He raised the dead. He preached good sermons. He did all of these things in order that you might know he was attested to by God. 
You all know in the crowd, you know this Jesus. He was a man of supernatural power. And he was delivered up to a cross. He was delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The cross is the center of our faith, if you're a Christian. Right? It's the cross. It's the centerpiece. It's the heart of the Christian faith. So Jesus went to the cross... And what is the deal with that? What is Peter telling us about the cross? Jesus went to the cross by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is big. This is big news. The definite plan means the decreed appointment. So Jesus went to the cross by the decreed appointment of God. Now, what does foreknowledge mean? Because this is big. He was delivered up by the specific appointment of God according to the foreknowledge of God, which means knowledge that is forethought or prearranged. So according to Peter, he is telling these, these two words that build on top of each other. Peter is saying Jesus was delivered to the cross by the definite plan of God that was based on a previous eternal arrangement between God and Jesus in eternity past. You mean the cross was not a mistake? The cross was the plan of God. How long? In eternity past, God the arrangement. This is the sinners from their sins. Plan. Jesus, do you? I do. I'm God is over salvation. He appointed Jesus. Accident. Jesus went on the prearranged purpose of God. Close your mind. Welcome to the welcome to the theological party called responsibility of man. And as Tom Roscoff has often said, you can trust him. Amen? You can trust him. He's sovereign and in control and he's good. Now, Peter follows that up by saying, you crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. In case we start floating around the clouds of God's sovereignty in the heavenlies, Peter gets us right back to earth and said, by the way, you did it. You just said it was the plan of God. You did it. You killed Jesus. Now, I want you to see this is very powerful. It's very balanced theology here. He's saying God is sovereign. It's all appointed. God did it on purpose. And you know what? You're responsible for it. And you will not be wiped of your human guilt because you did the sin. You did the thing. You killed Christ. And you put him in front of lawless men, the Romans, and they crucified our king. God will hold you accountable for your sin, church. You can hear that loud and clear this morning. You might say, well, if God's all-powerful and he's all-knowing and he plans it all out, then what's the point of me even obeying? Listen, God will not clear your guilt. On a human level, you must repent and turn and own your sin. 
Okay? Then Peter jumps over this Messiah in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, is talked about by this beautiful psalmist named David. David writes Psalm 16, and this psalm is so powerful. Many of you have read this over and over again and have found deep encouragement in your own life. I know I have. Psalm 16 is like, oh yeah, give it to me. I need that. I need that promise. But Psalm 16 is not mainly about you or me. It's not mainly about David. It's mainly about Jesus Christ. Not being able to be held down by death. Because Psalm 16, 8 through 11, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness in your presence. Psalm 16 is about the resurrection of Jesus. The reason Jesus is the worthy Messiah to this crowd of 10,000 some people is because death could not hold Jesus. Death couldn't hold him. Psalm 16 says, it is impossible for you to give me over to decay. It's impossible for Jesus, the Messiah, to be given over to death. Jesus' resurrection is, is Peter's main idea here. He's trying to tell his audience, Jesus is life itself. You need to understand that. John 1, verse 4, in him was life, and his life was the light of men. Jesus is life itself. Do you think death could hold Jesus down? Peter is telling him, no. That's why he's worthy to have your faith and your trust this morning, because he is the one who death couldn't hold down. Death can't hold him because he's life itself. He came in to abolish death. He came to arrest death. He came to get victory over death. And, and I say, I thought this as a funny, and I sh- shouldn't, I didn't say it at 8.30. I'm saying it at 10. I'm saying it. Because Jesus, when he goes down into the grave, his purpose is to defeat death, which means he comes out of the grave saying, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. (laughs) Yes, I did it. Okay. Lord, forgive me. (laughs) If you are trusting in Jesus... You are trusting in one who rose again from the dead and got victory over your greatest enemy, death. So when you and I die in Christ, do we really die? No, we do not. We live forever and ever. Amen. We will resurrect from the dead and we will resurrect to life unto life, resurrect to heaven. We will resurrect. And you know, Wendy Nelson, that I've talked to you about this because when you resurrect from the dead, you will be dancing and running. Amen. Praise the, praise the Lord. And everybody at Virginia Park who knows Christ is going to be running around and we will be hanging out. Wendy will probably win some sprints and stuff. She'll probably win like Olympic gold and some sprint in heaven that Jesus has for us. Okay? Okay, praise the Lord. Spirit of God's at work. Thanks, Cody. But listen, I say this...
one who came to fulfill all the prophecies, which means they had created and done the, the worst sin known to mankind. You mean he's the Messiah? That means we killed him, which means it is the worst possible sin committed by humans to kill God. To kill the Son of God is, is the worst thing. And so it is, we're, same, we're the same as the crowd. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross, amen? It was our sin that put him there. It was our sin. We killed the Messiah with our sin. So therefore they said, brothers, what shall we do? They got caught red-handed. Hand is in the cookie jar right now. What are we supposed to do? Part panic, part humility. I'm in trouble. What is, what is going to happen to me if God's wrath comes down upon me who killed the Messiah Peter says, repent, change your mind, change your thinking, change the direction of your life, change your processing up here and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what he says. And then he also says, as a, as a resultant work, be baptized. If you have received the word, get baptized because baptism is that essential step of obedience to identify with Christ. If Christ is really your Savior, Peter is assuming you're going to want to do this. You're going to want to identify with Christ. If he's really inside you and your mind's really changed, you love Jesus, identify with him and let's go. So we're going to respond. Very clear and beautiful application by Peter. Repent and be baptized. As we respond, some of you are not saved. Some of you are not born again yet. It's a very simple message for you this morning. We are living in the messianic times and probably towards the end of the messianic times. There is a Messiah, his name is Jesus, and he died on the cross and rose again for your sins. What do you need to do? You need to repent, change your mind, and change your heart. Call out on the Lord, ask him to save you. For some of you, that's a step for you. For most of you, you're Christians. Most of you are believers here, or at least professing Christians. What are you supposed to do with this? Like, yeah, I heard all this stuff before, I've read it before. What am I supposed to do? We are living in the midst of the Holy Spirit's movement amongst our generation. The Holy Spirit is not done with us yet. Amen? He is not done with this culture yet. Our culture is running away from Jesus at 10,000 miles an hour, but God is still at work here. The Spirit of God is still here. Until Jesus returns, the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you and inside of your neighbor and inside of your people that you really care about. Pray for opportunities to share this gospel, this very simple messianic age, Messiah, repent message. And may God give us grace to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Your word is so good. And Lord, we want to respond to you well. So God, give us grace to think about where we are Give us grace to think about what the gospel means to us, Lord, and give us grace to be so thankful for what Christ has done. Holy Spirit, you are alive, you are welcome here, you are inside of the heart of every Christian, and you're on the move, Holy Spirit, you are on the move. So Lord, would you save people, would you draw people to greater steps of growth and change? And would you transform our lives and our church and our neighborhoods for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.